This morning I'd like to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word um, to Proverbs chapter 27, verses 23 and 24. And this is really just our starting point this morning. We will be going uh, through a lot of different scriptures, and, um, uh, but you won't necessarily have to turn to all of them. Uh, I think we'll have a lot of them on the screen. Also today, uh, just had a wild hair and decided to do an outline. So there is one, uh, put one in your bulletin. Uh, it's in one of those inserts on that back side. It's got a picture reminding you about the um, deposit for Belize. So if you like that sort of thing, uh, you're welcome to use it. I know some folks get so uptight about getting the right word in the blank that it's more of a hindrance than a help if that's you. Lay it all down, like the song said, lay it down, okay? Uh, let it go. But if you like a little outline, one is there for you. Uh, we will be looking at a lot of different verses uh, from different places, which is different. Uh, you know, my usual preaching style is to take one passage of Scripture and then to dig in and see what it has. Uh, but as we are this month, rather than doing a series through a book or a section of the Bible, we're doing a, a series on a topic, and that topic is money and me. How does money uh, affect my life as a believer? And so we're three weeks into this discussion. Week number one, uh, we said money matters. And we said not just for paying the bills. Yeah, we know that it matters for paying the bills, for buying food and clothing and shelter. But we talked about how money matters in an eternal way. That God, uh, even through using an example of a really shady money manager who's called the, the shrewd or the dishonest money manager in Scripture, even through his example, he said, he didn't, he didn't praise his dishonesty, but he said, hey, the guy was clever with the way he used money to prepare for the future. And he told us, we've got a much greater future, not just a few years down the road or a few months, but we've got eternity to prepare for. And how we use what God has given us right now uh, is very important. So we are to prepare uh, for eternity through how we use money in our lives. And then last week we went on and we talked about money mayhem. We talked about all the ways that we can mess up with money if we, just, if we begin to love money, if it begins to consume us, there are so many wrong paths that we can go down. And so we understand that, you know, it's often misquoted that money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money leads to a bunch of different problems, and we need to avoid that. So that's what we talked about last week. And um, this week we're talking about some, some habits for success uh, in using money. So we're actually getting to, we know it's important, we know how not to use it, we learned last week. This week, how do I use my money in a way that's God-honoring? And so that's where we're at. If you would now please, uh, please stand as we read Proverbs chapter 27, verses 23 and 24. Know the state of your flocks, and put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we thank you for your word and what it has to say to us about one of the most common experiences in our lives, and that is how we deal with our, 
with our money and our stuff, our cash and our possessions? How do we deal with those things? And we pray that you give us wisdom and insight uh, as we look through your word for answers to this question. And we pray that our hearts would be changed to be more like you, that we would see our resources as you do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I know that sometimes we come to church and we begin to study things. We, we talk about things that have been so long ago that, um, you know, people say, is this for real? But I want you to know today that fall is real. Oh, come on. You laughed at gospel. Come on. That was so much funnier in my mind. If we can backtrack on the video and erase that, that will be great. Um, yeah, yeah. So we all know, though, that today we were all wondering, we were all, are we just going to skip fall this year? Is it just not even going to be there at all? And, and now that it's finally arrived, most of us are really, really happy uh, that fall is here. Some of us are not, but most of us are very happy about that. Well, sometimes we, be, we wonder, does God really have something to say about um, about my money and, and how I use it and how I can take care of it, or is it all just give to the church and that's it? Because sometimes that might be a majority of, of uh, depending on the church you go to, what you have heard. But God has all sorts of things uh, to say about our money. And so we're going to look at five habits. A, a really full and complete discussion of how we're supposed to use our money, how we're supposed to manage it and deal with it, it could go for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so this is just some highlights today of five big habits that if you practice these things, you'll learn um, the other things that you need to know to deal with your money in a way that pleases God. So the first thing uh, that we look at, the first habit is to be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. When we read this um, passage in Proverbs chapter 27, at first glance, we're like, wow, this is really relevant, Pastor. Uh, know the state of your flocks. Anybody in here have any flocks? Flocks? Wait a minute, you have herds, but do you have flocks? Okay, I was going to get to herds next, Alan. Uh, <laughs> flocks, I'm not sure that any of us. Now, does anyone besides Alan have any herds in here, any, any cattle? Okay, so, oh, okay, we, we, we have kind of a couple, and the rest of you are like, well, what does this have to do with me if I don't have flocks and I don't have herds? Well, it's the principle of the matter. We are not all farmers, but we all have stuff. We all have investments. We have bank accounts. We've got cookie jars filled with money or stuff under the mattresses or in your freezer or all those places that everybody hides stuff but they think no one will ever look. You know, we've all got stuff somewhere. And the Bible says that we need to know the state of our flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds. Why? For riches don't last forever and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. In other words, what you have today, even if you think I'm doing just fine, the Bible says, you know what, that's today. But tomorrow is a new day, and the next day is another new day. And so 
in here telling us to watch and to look out for the state of our flocks and our herds, God is telling us, be honest with yourself. Number one, as you start to look, and, and maybe some of you have never really looked at your financial state before because you say, oh, I hate that stuff. I'm not a math guy. I hated accounting. I don't enjoy that. I don't want to deal with it. You know what? God says, deal with it. God says, you got to pay attention. Number one, be honest with yourself where you are right now. I promise you that things will never get better for you if you just float along and say, well, I hadn't got any, you know, bounce checks lately, so I guess I'm all right. You will never be where you need to be. You need to be honest with yourself, taking a look at your finances and where they are. And God doesn't say that's worldly or bad or sinful to take a look at your financial picture. In fact, he says you ought to do that. You need to get a reality check that says, where am I right now and where am I heading? Where am I going with what God has entrusted to me in my life? And once you've had that initial checkup, he doesn't say, well, do that one time in your life. He's saying, make that a practice in your life that you keep up with, that you check on, that you, you know, kind of have a good handle on. You may not know your account down to the penny right now. Some of you, if I asked you, because I know you, I know people like this, you could tell me right now I have such and such in this account and such and such in this account. Good for you. You've already got the first point. But others of us say, well, there's money somewhere, uh, I think. And, uh, you know, we need to be honest with ourselves. And say, God has put me in a, in a position, and whether you want to use the old biblical word as a steward, and that kind of sounds more spiritual, or the modern word of manager, they really mean the same thing. God has given each of us money and possessions, cash and things that are ours, but they're really His. They've just been entrusted to us. And God says, here, I'm blessing you. I, I want you to handle this, to take care of yourself and your family and to bless others. And everything you do with it should bring glory to me. And we have to be honest if we're going to be a good manager of what God's given us with where we're at. Point number two is that you and I need to plan with humility. Plan with Humility. Listen to the words of James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. <clears throat> Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own evil or your own pretentious plans. And all such boasting is evil. There's a whole bunch of verses in the Bible that actually tell us to plan. And a lot of Christians don't realize that. Because we have this crazy idea that there's this big separation between here's spiritual stuff and here's secular stuff. Like God who created the world and everything about it somehow is 
not God of practical things or something, that he's only God of hypothetical stuff that we talk about high theology. Now, God is God of everything. He created the stuff that we have to deal with in this world. And over and over again in Scripture, it talks about planning. Read Proverbs. You'll hear it all the time. But not only in Proverbs, lots of places in Scripture tell us to make plans. So see how we're building here. Number one, we do a reality check. We're honest with where we are. Number two, now that we know where we are, we start to talk about where we want to be, where we want to go, how I want to use what God has given me in a way that honors him. And so you start to plan. But the reason why I use this specific passage is because our plans always have to be subject to change by God. We always have to make plans with humility. Look, sometimes we're going to have a dream, and that dream may not happen. Because all kinds of things that are out of our control, other people, and most of all, God. God tells us to dream. God tells us to plan, to, to look forward, to look ahead, to plan for the future. But all of our plans have to be humility. Remember the guy that Jesus talked about, the parable about this guy that said, Oh, man. I'm so rich. I'm so wealthy. My barn is busting at the seams. It can't even hold it all. I'm going to tear it down tomorrow and build a barn twice as big. And Jesus said, you fool. This day your soul will be required of you. And what does it profit someone if they gain the whole world, if they get all the riches and yet lose their soul? So the point is that our planning... And God does want us to plan, but our plan is not arrogant, it is not proud, it is not boastful, it is not, hey, everybody, I'm big stuff and I'm going to do this. It is, God, here's what I hope to do, here's what I plan to do, Lord willing, if God allows it, some of you uh, may actually use those words. My mom's a big believer in that. Mom, you going to come see us next week? Yes, son, Lord willing, I'll be there. Now, I think that's actually pretty good to use that language to remind us. But whether or not you say those actual words, Lord willing, that it should be in your heart. And every time you make a plan, yes, if the Lord allows it, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I hope to do. This is what I think I'm going to do. But guess what? Only God knows what's actually going to happen. So all of us need to plan but we need to do so with humility. Habit number three. Again, these are not one-time things. They are habits. They are things we continue to do in life. Number one is honest, be honest with yourself. Number two, plan with humility. Number three, seek help. Seek help. It really goes right along with the whole humility thing. You and I need help. What does James say? I like, I like what James says here. You ever heard um, a teacher say there's no stupid questions? Lots of us have teachers that did not say that. <laughs> and they'd make you feel real, real dumb for asking a question. How dare you ask that question? Were you asleep? Yes, I was. But still, I want to know what was, what's going on. Well, listen to what God says as he teaches us, when we say, teacher, teacher, oh, Lord, Lord, I've got a question. How does God treat that? 
James says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. And listen to this. He will not rebuke you for asking. And so all of us who have somewhere in our lives had a family member or a teacher or a coach who we wouldn't dare ask a question even though we need to know really bad, but we knew they were going to make a fool out of us. And guess what? Apparently people were the same 2,000 years ago because James has to tell them, God's not like that. We're all used to other people being like that. But God is not like that. He will not humiliate you when you go to ask him for help. God is generous, loving, and kind. And he's not going to get sarcastic or rude. But he will help you to have the wisdom that you need. Now, I will say this, though. It is rather odd for us to go to God And say, God, I need your wisdom, but I really don't want to read your book where you've revealed your wisdom. That's a little bit presumptuous on our part. So our prayer when we go to God and we ask for wisdom, that's a great prayer. We need to say, God, give me your wisdom and then help me as I study your word that your spirit speaks through it to my heart and I understand what you're saying to me. So we pray for wisdom But we do so while we're seeking wisdom in what God has to say. And again, there's so many places in Scripture. I mean, just Google it. It's so easy now. You don't even have to go buy a special book. You just Google Bible Scriptures about money, and it'll list you like 50 of them. How do you think I came up with this sermon? Just kidding. Okay, but you will not find this sermon on the Internet, okay? Better ones you might find, but this one you will not find on the Internet. But seriously, it's not that hard to look up and find what the Bible has to say about money. And you start reading through that and you pray and you say, God, give me wisdom. We seek help from God, but we also seek help from man. Again, this is part of humility. This is saying, you know, hey, I may be really good at what I do, uh, you know, as a teacher, as a builder, as, as a professional, as a laborer, whatever you do, you may be really proud and you're great at it. But none of us are great at everything. And most of us need some help. Now, this is where good, honest, solid, reputable people can help you out. What does uh, Proverbs say about this? Proverbs 15, 22. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. But many advisors bring success. In other words, get as much advice, good, solid advice, and help as you can. Sometimes this is simply from other people that you can tell by the way that they live their lives, that they really honor God and are successful uh, in, in using their money in a way that glorifies God. They handle their stuff. They know how to take care of it. But they're not greedy or tightwads or extravagant. They, they're people who love God, but they, they've learned how to use what the resources God has given, and God's blessed them. If you come across those type of people, you want to get to know them, and maybe without saying, I want to know what's in your bank account, but you can say, hey, I, you know, I, I'd love to know, you know what kind of things God has taught you, what you've learned along the way, and you can glean some wisdom. But even beyond that, there's good, solid, reputable people who do this for a living. They help you with your money to plan for retirement and to think ahead for college and to do all these different things. Those kind of folks 
Again, to me, that's part of humility. That's going and seeking wisdom as God tells us to. Number four, the fourth habit, work hard. Work hard. We would love to say that that goes without saying, but it doesn't. It has to be said. We live in an age and a world of entitlement where people simply think by virtue of existing that they ought to be provided for. And that they don't really have to provide for anyone else, but that everything is owed to them. What does the apostle say? The apostle Paul says, someone who does not provide for their own family is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever, worse than a pagan. You can claim Jesus all you want, and yet if you do not do an honest day's work to support your family, Paul says, all that spiritual stuff you spout off is a bunch of hocus pocus. It, you're, you're just throwing out stuff, smoke and mirrors, but you're really not serving God if you just try to, you know, let everybody else do for you and you not work hard. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20. He says, You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. So this is red letter so to speak, in your Bible. It is more blessed to give than to receive. A lot of us may know that Jesus said that, but do you realize it doesn't come from his words that were recorded in the Gospels. It comes from the lips of Paul in the book of Acts. Paul's quoting Jesus. He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now that's really famous. That's really well known. But how often do we read the verse or two before it that says, guess what? You need to work hard, not so that you can build yourself up and be puffed up, but you need to work hard so that you can bless others, so that you can provide for your family and for those in need in your community, for the needy, for those who need to be touched and helped. You need to work hard. Because the reality is there are things in life, and this is no shame, but there are things in life that happen to people where they become disabled. Or maybe they lose their job and can't find another one right away. Or something happens and they would desperately love to be able to support themselves, but they cannot. Or maybe you're, it's talking about children who it's not their fault that no grown-up is taking care of them. Or, or other situations you can imagine... And so while we're all told it's very important to work hard, it's not just for us, it's for others. And that's the principle that God gives us throughout Scripture. Israel did not get this. They thought they were blessed just because they were awesome and they deserved to be blessed. And God says, no, I bless you, nation of Israel, so that you may be a blessing to the nations. You're blessed so that my blessings might flow out of you. And God looks at us today, his people who are Christians, and does the same exact thing to us. He says, I bless you so that you can be a blessing. 
I bless you for you, but not just for you. You're not to take my blessings and dam them up and make a lake of blessings. You're to be a channel of blessings, that you are blessed by me, and it flows through and blesses others. And so God has called us to work hard at what we do, to do our best at what we do so that we can bless others. I'll tell you, you'll never give, you'll never be the generous person that you desire to be. And I think 99.9% of us desire to be a generous person. And very few people say, I want to be like Scrooge. You know, I, I want to be as stingy as possible. I want everyone to know I'm a tightwad. No, most of us don't, don't have that thought. But the fact is, either we don't work hard enough or we don't plan well enough prioritize enough we get to the end of the month and we see what's left over and then oh i can give to the church or uh oh then i can help the needy guess what the reality is for most of us if we do that there's none left over if we don't make it a priority from the beginning to be generous we're going to have trouble but you and i need to work hard. We need to also avoid the get-rich-quick schemes. Look at Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. In other translations, it says little by little. You know, the reality is we, we are all tempted by get-rich-quick stuff. Whether it's we fill out publishers, clearinghouse sweepstakes, and I don't know who they use today, but back in the day it was Ed McMahon, we would hope, would show up at our house and, and give us that big check, or maybe some of you, you know, buy some of these scratch-off things, or, or maybe, maybe you're, oh, I'm not a gambler, but you say, you know what, I just heard about this new opportunity and, and it's going to double and triple my investment overnight. I had my, my brother, used to, his, uh, well, both of my brothers are engineers, but one of them used to tell me about a coworker he had. And, and this family, they made good man, money. His coworker was uh, a man who he worked uh, there as an engineer at well, did pretty well. And then his wife drove for UPS and, and so they did pretty well. So together they, they were doing all right. They were doing fine. But that was not enough for them. They were smarter than the mutual funds, than this steady 5 or 6 or 7% growth or whatever it was. And every time he turned around, his friend at work was telling him about this new plan where he was about to hit it big. He was about to get so rich. And guess what? They did that for about 20 years. And all the stuff that could have been growing little by little over time and building wisely and vastly... It was all blown on all these new home-based or mail-based or internet-based things that just never came to anything. I'm not saying that there's not place uh, in our lives to do things that may be a tiny bit risky. If you ever go to a financial manager, they'll sit down and they'll tell you, let's evaluate your risk, how close you are to retirement, what risk are you comfortable with, they'll ask you. But I'm telling you, that while we may have some risky things and some not-so-risky things, 
The idea should not be, hey, I'm going to cheat the system. I'm going to get a quick buck. I'm going to get rich quick. But the idea should be, I'm going to take what God's given me. I'm going to use it and invest it as wisely as I know how. And then I'm going to have to learn to be patient. You see, over and over and again in the Bible, it uses this um, idea of sowing and reaping. And remember, not needle sowing, but the old, you know, planting. They sowed the seed back in the day. You sow and you reap. But something's middle missing from that phrase, isn't it? In that and that we can say so quickly is much longer than the sowing and the reaping will ever be. Sow and reap. It takes a long time. We put in the work. We water it. We wait. We nurture it. And eventually, we reap it. And God is calling us to learn to be patient and to avoid the instant gratification that our society uh, teaches. And that is our final final point. Number five, learn to hold off. Learn to hold off. How many of you have seen uh, on YouTube or somewhere else the uh, marshmallow test that was given to children about instant gratification? Have you, any of y'all seen that? Okay, it's great. It is so great. All right, and, and multiple people have done this, in fact. Uh, so if you look up a marshmallow thing on YouTube and it's weird, it, that's not the one I'm talking about, okay? I, I don't know what could be on there. But there's a test that um, multiple scientists have done testing patients. And they take these little kits, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, and they put them in a room with a table, and they put a, a plate, and on that plate is one marshmallow. And they tell them, now right now, you've got one marshmallow. And you can eat this marshmallow. It's all yours. But if you wait 15 minutes, you'll get two marshmallows out of the deal. And then they close the door and walk out of the room. And so the kids are in there all by themselves, of course, not knowing that there's a camera watching everything they do. So you look at these different kids, and in the video, we'll just show it. The, and, and, and then... You know, some of them will maybe push the plate away from them and they'll lean down and they'll, they'll, they'll sniff that marshmallow and some of them will pick it up and look at it. <laughs> and it's, it's great. And, and by the end of it, some of them even like eat off the bottom and try to hide it and put it back down. <laughs> it's great. Some of the kids wait and they get their second marshmallow, and other kids, they don't. Now, here's the interesting thing. They don't fuss at these kids. If it, you know, they, they don't get mad at them. It's just a little test. But you know, they follow, one of the studies followed these kids for the next few years, and you know what they found? That the kids who waited 15 minutes for that second marshmallow, that they were more successful in their behavior, in their social life, and in their academics simply because they had an understanding of how to wait, how to delay, how to not get that instant gratification, but wait for something better. There's nothing wrong 
with getting something gratifying. There's nothing wrong with enjoying yourself. If you go home today and say, I want some s'mores, don't say, now, Pastor Tim would want me to wait 15 minutes so I can get two. No, you go have a s'more right away, okay? That's fine. But here's what's really important. Here's what a lot of people do. A lot of people choose what's right in front of them today, what they want right now at the moment over what they really, really want in the future. And so they go through life, oh yes, I desire to have a wonderful marriage. I desire for my kids to honor and respect me. I desire to be successful and, and, and known as a hard worker. And they have all these desires. Everybody has those desires. But see, there's some other things that come right in front of our plate. Some shortcuts, some easy ways out, some temptations. And we end up getting close to them, looking at them, thinking about them. And before you know it, we've lost what we really want for the thing that we just kind of want right now. Because it's in front of us. The Bible has wonderful descriptions of this. The first one is Esau. The Bible tells us that he and his brother were night and day different. Jacob and Esau. And Jacob was the kind of the more stay around home. Esau was the big hunter who went off, brought stuff back. Well, this time maybe he come back empty-handed or, or he came back empty-handed or, or, or maybe he just didn't have time to cook this up. But he walks in the door and the Bible says he's tired and he's weary and he's worn out. You know, and I, I kind of feel sorry for him. I think, you know, if you're one of those people who's ever had low blood sugar and you've hit that point, you'd do almost anything, right? Whatever you say. And, and he walks in and he says, i got to have some of that stew. And Jacob, who was a trickster, who was always looking to take advantage of a situation, oh, sure, for your birthright. <laughs> your birthright. That means nothing to us. But for ancient people, the birthright meant that as firstborn, he had the double portion. He had the blessings coming to him. And, and, and Esau's kind of like, oh, come on, really? you got to give me something. I'm going to die. And Jacob says, no, if you want some of this stew, smells really good, looks really good. I want your birthright. And Esau says, hey, what's my birthright matter anyway? I'm about to die. He swears it. And he eats. And the Bible says that he despised. His birthright. Now, if you were to go up to ask him and you were say, Man, do you really despise your birthright? Do you really, do you really not care about it all? He'd say, No, 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 I care about it, but I was just about to die, man. He wasn't about to die. He felt like he was about to die. He made a decision based on emotions and based on how he felt right at that moment what would relieve him, what would make him feel better. And how many of us in our financial lives, rather than looking at the long term and what God has ahead for us, we've said, oh, I feel so bad. I'm going to go for some shopping therapy. Oh, I feel so bad. I, you know, if I only had this, this car would make me feel so much better. This boat. Do you know that 
the doctor said I needed to relax and calm down. And too much stress in my life, honey. I need this boat. You know, we, we make excuses. We come up with rationalizations for whatever we want to do, and then we do it. And in so doing, we despise what the real priorities ahead of us. Again, there's nothing wrong with shopping. There's nothing wrong with the boat. But don't sacrifice today what you want right now for what's really out there. And then in the New Testament, we have the opposite example. Jesus has been out in the wilderness for 40 days. He is starving. (laughs) He has fasted. He has had nothing for 40 days. And he comes before Satan, and Satan says, Oh, uh, you're, you're looking, you know, you're looking kind of pale there, Jesus. Yeah, why, don't, why don't you take these stones and turn them to bread? I mean, it's within your right. It's within your power. Why, why don't you do it? In other words, why don't you just forget about God's will? And why don't you just satisfy what you feel right at this moment? And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, what I'm feeling, what I'm craving, what I'm wanting right this minute, as important as that is, it's not nearly as important as the plan that God has for me. And Satan, I'm not going to miss out on what's really important for what seems real important right now. The final point on this, on holding off, is I want to say when you can, when possible, hold off on loans. Proverbs 22, 7 says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. I, I want you to understand, there's nowhere in scripture that says taking a loan is a sin. It really isn't. In fact, there are some places where it says, hey, if you're able to to help out the poor, you know, and, and, and they need a loan, hey, do it. The Bible never says that loans are sinful. But it does give a principle. It says, just like the fact that the high and mighty and the rich get their way over those who are poorer, the reality is, is those whose lives are tied up in loans, they're really servants to that lender. There's some things in life, uh, a lot of us would not have a house without a loan, if you do have a house. Um, There's places and times in life for loans, but if you can, as much as possible, understand that God says, when you take out a loan, you take on a new relationship. It's not just a financial figure on a piece of paper. When you take out a loan... You say, okay, thank you, master. I'm now servant. I now have to do what you say with this money that you loaned me to buy, fill in the blank. And see, that gets to be a problem at times when, again, it comes back to the long term. Because, see, when you go down to the bank for a mortgage and, and they figure out and they give you a magic number, oh, you can afford this big of a house note every single month. They don't take into account those things that just come out of the blue. 
And I guarantee you, they don't take into account, oh, you're a Christian. You're going to be given 10% of your more or more of your money uh, to the Lord's work. No, they don't take that into account. They just say, hey, you're doing well. You make this much money. You can afford this house. And they'll loan you what they can loan you. And it all looks good and it's great. And then you get in this place where I love Jesus and I want to serve him and I want to give. But oh wait, I got this huge note. Oh, and I got this little note. Yeah, I need a new lawnmower. And again, there's that boat. And well, it was our anniversary and I didn't quite have the money, but she deserved that jewelry. So, so we have this little note and we start adding these things up. And in our heart of hearts, we say, I want to be generous. I want to help people who are in need, family members and friends and people in the community that are truly in need. But I'm struggling myself to make it because I've taken out all these things and I didn't either need them or I didn't need that big of one or nice of one or new of one. And if we learn to live more simply within our means, to pull back where there's some margin for life. So when that unexpected thing comes up, it's not just a, you know, a car problem. It's also a huge financial problem. Maybe if we've scaled back a little and we have a little bit in savings and we haven't spent everything and we're not leaving completely week to week, then maybe there's a little bit where it's a car problem and we hate that we have to take out $500 out of the bank to, to go get it fixed, but it's not ruining us financially. I don't want to be judgmental about this. I am the, you know, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of financial mess-ups, okay? I, I can tell you how to mess up, how to do wrong. I, I've got multiple examples in my life. I'll talk to you afterward, okay? There's lots of dumb things you can do. So I'm not here to judge you if you're in a bad situation or you've had a bad situation in your life. But I want to say, why not avoid those as much as you can in your life? Why not be wise and, and smarter with what God's given you? So, again, there's a bunch more principles in God's word about what we should do in, in particular situations and how to handle particular financial questions. But I really believe that if you follow these five habits, and they're actually habits, they're not just a one-time thing, yeah, I'm going to go home and do that today and everything's going to be fixed. But if I, if I habitually take stock of what God's given me and I use, I plan with humility and, and, and I seek help from God's word, from God, from others who are smart, and I work hard with all that God's given me to work hard and I avoid the instant gratification... I really believe that while God doesn't promise any of us we're going to be millionaires, you'll never hear from this platform in this church, you'll never hear a health and wealth and prosperity gospel. You'll never hear the words, oh, well, if you're a good Christian, you're going to make tons and tons of money. No, God doesn't promise that. But he does promise he'll take care of our needs. But sometimes he's given us what we need to take care of our needs, and instead we've used it on our wants. Look, he even blesses us enough that he blesses us that we can do some wants. But let's make sure that the needs, and not just our own, but the needs of God's church, the needs of the people around us, are 
met. And then God says, okay, just use it in a way that brings me honor and brings me glory. And you're okay. I hope that you'll choose to make these things a habit in your life that you follow and that will lead to success. And that success is not defined like the world says, but success by God's word, which is I've taken what he's given me and I've used it with a focus on eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, Lord, all of us, we, we have different intelligences. We have different life situations. We have different educations. We have different opportunities. Lord, you've never said that all of us are going to be alike or, or that we're all going to have certain things. But God, you have promised that you'll meet our needs. You have promised that as we serve you, that you will bless us. Sometimes those blessings are financial. Sometimes they are things that are way better than financial. But God, I just pray right now that you'd help us to realize that what we do with our money, even apart from what we bring to this church and put in the offering plate, that what we do with all of the rest of our money, it all matters to you. You care about how we live our lives because it shows a lot about our heart for you, how committed we are. I pray that today our hearts and minds would be focused on living a life that honors you, a life that's full of the, the joy and the blessings you give, but a life that doesn't sacrifice what's really important for the temporary things that come right in front of us today and the next day. Lord, we pray that you'd now bless our time of invitation. Help us to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.